0: Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, the title of this message is The Benefits of Being Justified. The Benefits of Being Justified. You could also say the benefits of being saved. What are the benefits of your salvation? And what we're going to see in this passage is five different things. Peace with God, access to God, joy and the hope of future glory, joy through trials, and the love of God poured out in our hearts. These things, before I even read this passage, if you have come to faith in Jesus and you are justified, they are yours. They belong to you. This is the work of the Lord in your life, and let's walk in a fuller and deeper realization of these truths. Let me read this passage to you, starting here in verse 1. He says, Therefore, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, Hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Before we begin to kind of unpack everything that Paul says in this passage, let me just give a little bit of context. What has Paul been discussing so far in Romans? Well, the book of Romans is perhaps Paul's most famous letter, perhaps his most famous writing. Uh, Some have even called this Paul's magnum opus, right? His life's work. Uh, And rightly so, because in the book of Romans, Paul uh, paints a full picture of the gospel. And uh, he he brings us to like the the mountaintop and he, he reveals to us the glory of the gospel. What does it mean for you? Paul answers questions like, why is the gospel necessary in the first place? Paul answers the question, what does the gospel do for the individual who accepts it? He answers the question, what should the response be from my life? How should I live after I've accepted the gospel? This is the book of Romans. It's an amazing book. Um, Paul spends almost the first three chapters discussing the question, why is the gospel necessary? Why is the gospel necessary? And uh, what you see in those first three verses is Paul paints a really terrible picture of mankind. Before Paul gets to the gospel, what we would call the good news, Paul gives some really, really, really bad news, terrible news. In fact, what's the news? The news is that we each are sinners. We've sinned against a holy, living God. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, this is what Paul had to say. He said, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. He says, God's wrath is revealed from heaven against ungodliness and against unrighteousness. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hands because I know that all of our hands would or at least should be in the air if you've practiced unrighteousness, if you've practiced ungodliness, what does that say of you? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness. And so Paul, the first three chapters, he paints this really, really bad picture. He gives the bad news first. But what's the good news? Well, the good news is this. The good news is that you have a God that loves you. The good news is that you have a God who is compassionate, who looked upon your state as a sinner, one who was previously his enemy and under his wrath. And what did he do? Well, he wasn't content to just leave you in that state, so he sent Jesus to the earth to be the sacrifice for your sins, that as Jesus was hanging on the cross, he took your sin and my sin upon his shoulders, and God punished him. In your place, the wrath of God revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness was poured out upon Jesus. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that tells us that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He made him who knew no sin. Jesus was not a sinner. Jesus was perfect. He was, as we just sung about, Holy in everything he did. He made him who knew no sin, not just to carry my sin, but to be my sin. He became my sin. And so think about your life. Think about the, the thing that you're ashamed of most. You're like, I can't believe I would do something like that. That, that you often wonder, like, how could the Lord forgive me for that? Jesus became that sin. He became that sin. Not only did he become that sin, but he was punished for it. He faced the full force of God's fiery indignation and wrath against sin for you and for me. To what end? For what purpose? That we might become the righteousness of God. That's the good news. The good news is that God didn't leave humanity in a state before him, one of wrath. No, no, no. He sent Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sins. And as you move into chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, Paul introduces one of the major themes of Romans and something that we'll be deeply concerned about in our uh, study this morning. And this is the teaching of justification. Justification, verse 23 and 24 of Romans 3, he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being freely justified, or being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He says that we have been justified freely by his grace. What does the word justification mean? What does it mean to be justified? Well, this was a legal term. And so imagine with me, uh, you're in a first-century courtroom, and there's a judge, and there's somebody standing on trial, and the judge is about to give his ruling. Uh, And he looks at this person. The judge would say one of two words. He would either look at this person and say, "'Condemned,' meaning you are guilty and you are deserving of punishment.'" So whatever that would be, jail or sometimes execution or whatever— Or he would look at them and say, what? Justified. 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 Meaning, I'm declaring you as one who is innocent, free of all of the charges that were previously brought against you. Now, as believers, listen, we have walked in sin. We are certainly the guilty party, and yet God can declare you as one who is justified because Jesus took your place. Jesus took your place, To be justified, it literally means to be declared innocent. And this is something that you need to accept as a gift. He says, being justified freely by his grace. Other translations put it justified as a gift. Well, how do you get a gift? You you have to receive it, right? You have to take it unto yourself. So we just celebrated Christmas, didn't we? And uh, we put, you know presents around the tree, and I'm sure many of you parents were so excited for your kids that they could open up presents around the Christmas tree and just just so excited. But in order for whatever's in those boxes to become theirs, they have to receive it unto themselves. And so what would it be like if your little six-year-old said, I don't think there's anything in those boxes. It's just an empty box. I'm not even going to waste my time opening that gift. Okay, well, the gift is there. It's ready for them but they wouldn't be accepting it. With any gift, you have to receive it. And same is true with this free gift of salvation, justification, to be declared innocent. It's a gift. You have to receive it. How do you receive it? With the hands of faith. Calling out upon the Lord and saying, I believe that this is true. I believe it's true. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've fallen short. I know I'm in need of cleansing. I need to be justified And I accept this as a gift, believing. Let me just speak a moment. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never done that. Maybe you've heard the message of salvation a hundred times, but you're realizing in this moment, I don't think I've ever actually accepted it. What's stopping you? What's stopping you? Come to faith in Jesus. Accept the free gift of salvation. It's there. It's waiting for you. He wants you to open it. He wants you to receive it. And all you need to do is reach out by faith and accept it. And so Paul, in chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, begins to speak about these different benefits or blessings that we have as a result of being justified. And the first one that we see is here in verse 1. He says that we have peace with God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you've come to faith in Jesus, you've been one who accepted the gift, you have peace with God. Right. This isn't something that you have to like look forward to one day. Well, well, at a later date, I'll have peace. No, if you've come to faith in Christ, you've accepted the gift, you have peace with God. Now, before you were in Christ, couldn't say that. If you're here this morning and you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we can't say that about you. What is the state for you? Enmity with God, actually. Enmity with God. Uh, you, You can expect wrath from God, in fact. And I don't say this lightly, and I don't say this to offend anyone, but this is the truth of God's word. The only way to have peace with God is that you might be justified by accepting the free gift of salvation you might be justified by him. Peace with God. I think that many of us as believers, this is a truth that we need to hear over and over and over and over again. You have peace with God. In other words, if you've been justified, he's not mad at you. He's not disappointed in you. He's not coming at you with the list of works that you have to do in order to be made righteous before him. No, instead, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Yes. Just as much as Jesus was on the cross and he saw all of your sinfulness, he looks at you and he sees the holy, righteous, spotless, sinless life of Jesus Christ. Jesus took my sin and now I get to take his righteousness and you have peace with God as a result of it. Enjoy the fact that you have peace. Enjoy it. Rest in it. Rest in the work of Christ, not in your work. Rest in his righteousness, not in your own righteousness, not in your own strivings. Rest in the fact that he has made peace. He's made peace. He's he's made peace between himself and you. Now, I'll also say this, that for those of us who experience peace with God, it should naturally follow that we are experiencing the peace of God in our lives, in our daily living. If we have peace with God, we should be experiencing the peace of God uh, as we walk about this life. Uh, Let me put it to you like this. If I know that my God is the creator and the sustainer and the one who is all-knowing and the one who is all-powerful and the one who is completely sovereign, well, if, if he's my king and I'm at peace with him, then what have I to be worried about? What have, I, what have I to be anxious over? No, I should be one who is completely secure and at peace, knowing who my God is, knowing who he is. Both Old Testament and New Testament share the same truth, that those who know and follow the Lord of all creation should be those who are walking in his peace. Let me give you a few verses. Isaiah 26, verse three says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You will keep him in perfect peace as my mind is stayed upon who my God is, as I'm reflecting upon the truths of my God is holy, my God is high above, my God is all-powerful, he's going to keep me in perfect peace. John 14, 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus says, I'm leaving, but I'm leaving something with you. I'm leaving my peace with you. Not as the world gives. You shouldn't be troubled. You shouldn't be anxious. In the world, you're going to find tribulation, but as you walk with me, you're going to experience peace. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for some things. Like, he doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room there, does he? He doesn't leave a lot of room for us to be like, yeah, but what about this situation? Like, couldn't that fall under the category of I should really worry about that? No, he says, be anxious for nothing. Instead, do What? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If I'm struggling with anxious thoughts, if I'm struggling with worry and doubt and fear and and anxiety, what is the prescription of the word of God for that? The prescription is that I would run to the Lord. The prescription is, is that I would come to the Lord in prayer and supplication and crying out and thanksgiving and worship. And it says here that the peace of God that surpasses knowledge will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God's peace will guard your hearts and minds. And let me encourage you in this pray until you get the peace. Don't let it just be a one and done. Well, I tried, I tried God's way and you know, it didn't work for me. No, pray until you get the peace. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus spoke a parable about prayer, and I'm not going to get into the parable, but it's prefaced by this statement. It says something along the lines of, Jesus spoke this parable that his followers might learn to always pray and not lose heart. The implication in that verse is that we tend to pray, or maybe I'll just make it me personally, I tend to pray in such a way where I pray and do lose heart. No, don't stop praying. Keep running to the Lord. Pray until you get the peace. Don't stop. Don't stop. Lastly, Colossians 3.15, it tells us that we ought to let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you are also called in one body, and be thankful. Let God's peace rule you. Let it rule you. Over and over throughout Scripture, we're told that we can have peace and that we should have peace, both peace with God and peace from God, because if he is my king and he is my God, what have I to worry about? He's in control. He's over all. The Lord exhorts us in Psalm 46, verse 10, very famous passage, probably some of our favorite verses here. But the Lord says to be still and know that I am God. Be still. Uh, we all know that passage, maybe, probably many of us do. That verse was like just opened up and shown to me in a whole new light when I read it in a different translation. This is how the New American Standard Bible translates that verse. It says, cease striving, And know that I am God. Cease striving. If you do a word study on that word in in Hebrew, it could also be translated as hang limp and know that I'm God. Just hang limp. What's the implication? The implication is that I'm not striving. I'm not tensing myself up. I'm not worrying about. I'm just, I'm just hanging limp in the presence of the Lord as I understand who my God and my king is. He, he says, be still, cease striving, hang limp, know who I am. And so if you don't have that peace, you keep going back to the Lord until you get the peace because this is a promise from scripture. He wants you to have the peace. He wants you to have it. He doesn't want it to be something unattainable. Go back, keep going back, pray, and don't lose heart. Peace with God, peace out of God. That's a pretty, pretty awesome benefit, isn't it? The fact in our salvation that we can have this peace. The next thing that we see here in verse two is that because we're justified, we have access to God. This is what he says here in the first part of verse two, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. You, you have access to the very presence of God. You have access. You can enter in. You can enjoy the full benefits of a relationship with God. And what kind of a relationship is it that we get to enjoy? What kind of access do we get to enjoy the access that a son or a daughter has to their father. Bible says that we are now the adopted sons and daughters of the living God. And you have access to him. You can run to him. Meaning, when you call upon the Lord, he hears your cry. Then when you're you're experiencing the anxious thoughts, the Lord is there, the Lord is close. The Lord is concerned. The Lord cares. The Lord sees just like like a tender, loving father sees his baby girl, sees his precious son. You have access in that way. We're called to draw near and to take full advantage of the access that we have. Let me just say to the Jewish person who is reading this, that would have been a revolutionary thought would have been a mind-blowing statement to say that we have access to the presence of God because this really wasn't the case throughout the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it's as if the Lord had to continually say, you can come this far, but you can't come any farther than that. Think about Moses and the burning bush. So Moses, one of the, the heroes of the faith, His first encounter with Yahweh, uh, he sees a bush that is burning, but it's not being overtaken by the flames, and he's like, I need to go check that out. And so he goes to this burning bush, and the Lord speaks to Moses from the burning bush, and he says, stop. Don't come any further, because you're standing on holy ground. Think about later, the Israelites on Mount Sinai, when the Lord was giving the law, the Lord said, hey, Moses, you're the only one allowed on this mountain. No one else. No one else can step foot on this mountain. And if they do, they need to die. Think about the way, even the the structure of the temple. It was set up with a series of walls separating out different kinds of people. There was a wall separating the Gentiles. There was a wall separating the regular Jews from the priests. There was was a veil in the temple, a, a, a big curtain, essentially, that separated the holy place where normal priests could go in and and minister, from the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was, where only one person one time a year could enter into that place. And even for that guy, the Lord said, you can only do it once a year, and you need to come in in this particular manner, dressed in this particular way, consecrated like this, lest you die. And so the message of the whole Old Testament is, You can come this far and no further. And yet, what do we see in the New Testament? What do we see? Things have changed. Because as Jesus was hanging on the cross, this is what we read. In Matthew 27, verses 50 and 51, it says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. He yielded up his spirit. Then, behold... The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. It's as if if the Lord was saying, no more. Like I'm gonna open up the doors to my presence. You can enter in, you can have access. Why? Because the sin problem has been dealt with. Because for those who call upon the Lord, who come to Jesus in faith, and accept the free gift of salvation will be declared innocent, justified. You will receive the righteousness of Christ. You have as much access to the throne of God because, as Jesus, because you've received the righteousness of Christ. That is amazing. Man, we need to take full advantage of what the Lord has purchased for us. It says there in verse two, we have access by faith faith into this grace in which we stand. It's not by my works. It's not by my keeping the law or my own striving. It's his work. It's what Jesus did. He purchased it for us. And we're told over and over and over, enjoy it. Go there. Hebrews 4.16, he says, Therefore let us come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and help in time of need. Come there. Go to the throne of grace. In Hebrews 10:19, he says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, that is that most holy place where the presence of God resides, having boldness to enter the holiest, by the blood of Jesus, you can have confident access to the very presence of God because you are now a son. You are now a daughter. And that when you speak, you have his full attention. Let's take advantage. Let's keep going there. Let's keep going there. You have access to the Lord. We have peace. We have access. In verse 2b, he tells us that because we're justified, we rejoice in future glory. He says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What's that? That one day we'll be standing with the Lord face to face. We'll be standing in all of his glory. uh, And this will be the blessed state that we have, not just for a lifetime, but for all of eternity. We're going to be with the Lord in his glory. And, And mysteriously, the Bible declares, the New Testament says that he is going to glorify us with Christ. What does that mean? I don't know, but I can tell you this, we're not gonna be disappointed. In fact, we're gonna be really, really happy with our state in eternity. And it's something that Paul says, this, this causes us to rejoice. That as we walk through this life and as we face difficulties and trials, which we'll talk about here in the next verse, that we would rejoice knowing that we're going to be with him in heaven. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I would encourage you, To be more heavenly minded, to get your eyes off of what's taking place on this plane, right? And get your eyes onto heaven because here's the reality the sum total of your existence is not just this life in the here and now, there's a greater glory awaiting you. And are you expectant? Are you excited? Are you rejoicing? that that day will soon come, that we'll be with the Lord in all of his glory. Verses three and four, we see that being justified allows us to have joy in trials. He says, and not only that, right? So not only do we rejoice in the hope of that future glory, but we also glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character, hope. So Paul says, not only that, in addition to this rejoicing for our future glory, we also glory in tribulations. Now, underline that word glory. We glory in tribulations. And if you look back in verse 2, when Paul says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, they're both the same word in Greek. And so Paul is saying, we can rejoice in tribulations. We can rejoice in In the hard times, we can rejoice when the trials touch our life. James would say something very similar. In James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, he says, Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Paul and James both declare that when you experience trials and difficulties and tribulations, you can have joy. Now, let me be clear, because I don't think that Paul is saying, um, you should be happy that that trial, like happy for the trial. Like, I'm so glad. Like, this is not, you know, us trying to be fake and just make something good when it's not good. Like, I'm so happy that, you know, my car broke down this week. I'm so glad that I lost my job. You know, like, that's not what he's saying. What he is saying, though, is that you can rejoice in knowing that the Lord is at work in your life through that trial right now, today. The Lord is at work. He's not leaving you alone. He's working. He's producing things in you, the perseverance and character and hope. You know, often when we face a trial, again, I'll just speak for myself. My first inclination is, Lord, please remove me from this trial. I don't want to be in it. Do you know what I found, though? I found that For my life, personally, the Lord doesn't often just immediately remove me from the trial. What does he do? He sees me through it. He sees me through it. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul, actually, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He speaks of a thorn in the flesh. Don't know what it is, but he says, I had this this thorn in the flesh. And it says, I pleaded with the Lord three times for him to remove it. And what does the Lord respond to Paul? He says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. If you're going through a trial today and your heart's cry has been, Lord, remove this. Remove me from this. Lord, help. I believe the word of the Lord to you today is the Lord's grace is sufficient for you. And even though it may be hard and confusing and you don't understand, the Lord's gonna give you the strength to walk through it. David said in Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You walk through it. He's gonna give you the grace to walk through it. He's gonna give you the grace to endure it. And along the way, the Lord is going to be producing in you qualities that are good, that we should each desire Tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. The Lord is not going to waste that trial in your life. He's not going to waste this season. He's going to use it. He's going to use it for good, in fact. Let me read to you what Paul later says in Romans. Romans eight twenty eight. he says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Paul says that everything that touches your life, if you love the Lord, that trial, that difficulty, that traumatic childhood, that loss of a loved one, that that heartache and hardship that you experience that you don't understand and you're confused by, the Lord says, even in those things, I'm working out good in your life for you. I'm looking out good. I'm I'm working out good to those who are the called according to his purpose. And can I just encourage each and every one of us, maybe you're in the the thick of a trial today. If you're not in a trial today, you may be tomorrow. That when that thing touches your life that's confusing, that you don't understand, may I I just encourage you to to look above the valley and see that the Lord is, is... at work in ways that we don't know and we don't understand. And my friends, if you, could, if you could just trust the word of God above what you're feeling right now. Trust the word of God above what you're feeling. Trust that he has a purpose. Trust that he, is, that he has a plan, a good. Again, I'm not, I'm not saying that everything that touches your life is good. No, there's bad things that happen. There's sinful things that happen. But even in that, the Lord is able to cause it to work Toward good for you. So rest. Trust the Lord. Trust the process. Trust the Lord. You know, I'm reminded of Joseph. Many of us are familiar with the story of Joseph, right? In Genesis, uh, toward the end of the book of Genesis, I don't have the exact chapters in my head, but the last 10 chapters, that's probably a safe bet, right? Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Well, that was wrong, wasn't it? (laughs) That was sinful. Not God's best, I bet. And yet, what do we see happen? The Lord took Joseph and through a series of events as a result of his brother's sinful act caused Joseph to be placed in a position of authority in Egypt and the Lord gave Joseph wisdom to be able to save the known world from a a terrible seven-year famine. The Lord caused... That bad, terrible act caused it to work out for good in the end. And there there comes a point in the story when Joseph's brothers are falling down before them. And they're essentially saying, hey, Joe, please don't kill us. Like, please don't don't take our lives for what we did. And do you know what Joseph says to them? Like, I can just imagine the tenderness in his eyes. He looks at them. He says, you guys, my brothers, you intended this for evil. But what? God meant it for Good. God meant it for good. That's the kind of God that we serve. That he can take the broken things of this life and cause them to work, to work out for good toward you. And so what are some of these things that we see that's good? Well, he says, tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance literally means to remain under a weight or to have steadfastness when there's tremendous pressure. The Lord uses trials to produce a staying power in your life. And listen, that makes sense, doesn't it? Like we understand this from a physical perspective, don't we? So like if I want to build muscle, then what do I need to do? Well, I need to hit the gym. I need to do push-ups. I need to you know, lift weights. And, do, and I'm actually saying that I do need to do this because New Year's resolutions, right? Like, <laughs> um, I need some muscles on me, right? Um, and, and so what happens when you do that? Well, you're putting your body under strain and pressure, and your muscles are actually beginning to tear a little bit. But then what happens is they heal and they grow stronger, That's how the Lord uses a trial in your life. That's how the Lord uses a trial. I have found for me personally that the times of great spiritual growth have come out of the times of pressure. Not the times where it's just easy peasy, lemon squeezy. It's the times where um, the trial hits my life and it forces me to the feet of the Lord. It forces me to trust him. it forces me to Trust the word of God over what I'm feeling. That's what the Lord wants to accomplish as he allows these things to touch our life. So tribulation produces steadfastness, perseverance. That perseverance produces character. The Lord uses it to sanctify us. He uses it to, to teach us to walk in, in an upright manner. And this proven character produces in us Hope. Hope for what? I think that's the hope that Paul was just talking about, the the hope of future glory. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. (laughs) Again, when I face a trial, when tragedy has struck my life, can I just say it causes me to yearn for heaven all the more? (laughs) It causes me to hope for heaven so that character produces that, that hope in me. And so we see that Because we're justified, we have peace, we have access, we have joy in future glory and joy through trials. And lastly, justification allows us to know and experience God's love. He says this, now hope does not disappoint, right? So this trial produces perseverance and character and hope. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Paul says that the hope that you have, you're you're not gonna be disappointed that you've set all of your hope in the Lord. And how do you know that you won't be disappointed? Because God's love has been poured out in your life through the Holy Spirit. Because when you come to faith in Jesus, you experience the love of God as the Holy Spirit fills you up and this is something I believe that we all experience to, to different degrees. Even this morning, as we were worshiping, and we were just singing the song about the holiness of the Lord, and Lord, there's no higher name than yours, and all thrones and dominions. Um it's not as high as you, Lord. And I was just praying and worshiping, and I I just had a sense of the presence of the Lord in my heart. And it's an interesting thing because when we think upon the holiness of God, we think to ourselves, well, who am I that I should do this? But do you know what I found in that moment? Even this morning, it was, you have access to me and I love you and I care for you. The love of God was shed abroad in my heart this morning <laughs> just as I was worshiping the Lord. So we all experience this to certain degrees. I would say that the love of God for you is a reality that we should experience more and more though and come to a deeper and fuller and richer understanding. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul was praying for the Ephesian church and he says, I'm praying for you that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Paul is saying, I'm praying that you would know that which is unknowable. The love of Christ passes that which we could hold within our finite minds. And maybe you're a person who's just been wondering, does the Lord even love me? Does the Lord even care? Pray and don't lose heart. Keep running back to your Father. Keep taking full advantage of the access that you have before the throne of God. Be filled with the Spirit and let his love be poured out into your heart. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much that, Lord, even though you are high and lifted up and and you are holy and you are over all, Lord, and there is none like you, that you would look upon me and, and have a heart to save me. That you would look upon me with a heart of compassion and love and tenderness, Lord. Thank you that your love moved you to action in sending Jesus to be the sacrifice for my sins. Lord, I love you. Thank you, Lord. I'll just give you a moment here to respond to the Lord. First, just want to maybe speak to the person who's never accepted Christ as their Savior. You haven't accepted the gift. What's stopping you? You have a creator that Loves you and has gone to the farthest extent to make sure that you could be saved, that you could be forgiven. So, what do you need to do in this moment? Well, you just confess to the Lord. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm in need of saving, and I believe that Jesus can do exactly that. The Bible tells us that when we call on the name of the Lord, we will not be put to shame. So, when you call upon the name of the Lord this morning, He's not going to reject you. He's going to accept you. And at that moment where you accept the Lord and He accepts you, do you know what you'll have? Peace with God, peace of God, access to His throne, joy. In the hope of future glory, joy in the midst of trials and the love of God will be shed abroad in your heart. Come to faith in Christ right now. Don't wait for a more opportune time or a day that's more convenient. Now is the time. Maybe you know the love of Christ and you've come to faith and yet you just really struggle with this idea of peace because worry plagues you. Pray and don't lose heart. Keep running to the Lord. Allow his peace to flood you. Maybe you're in the midst of that trial and it's just been sucking the life out of you and you don't have joy. Keep running to the Lord. Get your eyes above the valley onto the Lord. Trust the word of God more than what you're feeling in this moment and trust that he's at work. Oh Lord, we pray that your love would be poured out into our hearts more and more. Give you a moment here to respond to the Lord. Well, Lord, we love you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that this is the kind of relationship that we can have with you. We worship you today. We pray that we would walk out of here full, rejoicing, and Lord, that you would meet each one of us just in our our own individual circumstances, Lord, and draw us closer to you. We pray in Jesus' name. We love you. Amen.